To begin our message today, I want to ask you, how do you respond when you experience shame? It's a nice, small, easy question to ease in. How do you respond when you experience shame in your life? When you know that you've messed up, when you know that you've hurt someone, when you know that you've caused damage to someone else or pain to someone else, and you experience that sense of shame about what it is that you've done, how do you respond? Some of us run away. We hide, we shut the world out and say, that's it, I don't want to talk to anyone, I'm so embarrassed about what I've done, I've just shut everyone out. Some of us lash out, so we kind of strike first. We'll attack other people in the hopes that they don't find out what's going on for us. Some of us beat ourselves up. I can't believe that I've messed up again, I'm such a screw-up, I do this all the time, I can't believe how often I hurt other people. And sometimes we make excuses well, it's not my fault, it's their fault. If they hadn't done that to me, then I wouldn't have reacted in that way. Or it's because of all these other things that are going on for me. That's how come I did what I did. There's more and more research that's being done into the importance of us being able to understand the impact that our shame has on us. And I particularly appreciate the work that Brene Brown does around vulnerability and shame. She's written a couple of excellent books on that and there's also a Netflix special uh, that she's written on that as well. And she says there there are three things that we need to do when we experience shame. First of all, we need to practice courage and reach out. So we need to reach out to someone that we know loves us and has our best in mind, and we need to be courageous enough to admit what we've done. We need to be courageous enough to say, this is what I'm going through and this is what I'm processing. Secondly, she says we need to talk to ourselves the way that we would talk to someone that we love. So again, this is being careful about that toxic self-talk that we often have and instead saying, well, if this was someone who came to me and said this to me, how would I respond to them? That's how I want to respond to myself. And then the third thing she says is that we need to own the story. We shouldn't bury the story and the truth of what's happened, but nor should we let it define us. We have to recognise that we get to write the end of that story. We get to make the decisions about how that story finishes. So it's a very, very helpful framework. But what's fascinating, as I was reflecting on that this week, with this psalm that we're going to look at, is that David was way ahead of his time. Because David did all of these things. David, in his response to a situation that we're going to unpack, where he experienced significant amounts of pain, practiced courage, and reached out to someone who he knew loved him unconditionally. God. And he was willing to say, God, this is what I'm going through and this is what I'm feeling. He was very careful about the way that he talked about himself. He didn't let any toxic self-talk kick in. But he also owned the story. He didn't bury it. He didn't let it define him. But he also recognised that he got to write the end of the story, the way that this was all going to finish. And so that's what we're going to work through, is David's psalm, Psalm 51, as we continue our series where we're unpacking a few different psalms to be able to see what we can learn about helpful models for prayer for us, ways in which we can engage with God when we go through specific situations. So if you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to Psalm 51, and hopefully you grabbed a copy of our teaching notes as well, because you'll need that later in the service to be able to jot some things down. 
So the background for the psalm is that uh, this comes uh, after the story of David and Bathsheba, a story that many of us are very, very familiar with that we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 11, where David is out uh, on his palace balcony one evening and uh, he's just kind of looking out over the city and sees someone bathing on the rooftop over to the side and allows his thoughts to run away from him. And uh, he ends up lusting after Bathsheba and ends up taking advantage of her. And when he realises what he's done, he's like, oh, I've got to fix this because Bathsheba is married to Uriah, who is one of my key guys in my army. And so his solution is that he sends Uriah out to battle and tells his generals, just at some point, just like have Uriah go to the front of the line, just have everyone take a couple of steps back. And because of that, obviously, Uriah ends up being killed. And so David thinks, well, this is going to cover it all up because Uriah dies as a war hero and David can step in as the really great guy who's going to take care of poor Uriah's widow Bathsheba. But in chapter 12, we read that the prophet Nathan comes and confronts David and helps him to understand the gravity of what it is that he's done. And it's in response to that that we understand that Psalm 51 was written by David as he processed through the choices that he'd made and the damage that he's done. And it's a great reminder for us that David wasn't someone who was perfect. We do hold David up as one of the greatest kings of Israel, and it's fair enough that we do. But sometimes because of that, we can think he's this guy who just got everything right, and we're told that he's a man after God's own heart, and so David must have been this superstar, right? This is a great reminder that, no, David was far from perfect. David made some very significant mistakes that are probably worse than I would imagine any of us have done in our lives. And yet God does still call him a man after his own heart. And I think that's because of the way that David responds when he goes through these sorts of situations. He confesses, he accepts, he acknowledges what he's done rather than running away and making excuses. And his desire is to be put back into a full, complete relationship with God, as we'll see. So Psalm 51, we'll begin at verse 1. David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. So David says, Have mercy on me because of your unfailing love and because of your great compassion. And mercy simply means to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and to respond to them the way that we would hope people would respond to us if we were that person. And so David recognises that God's mercy, God's willingness to show understanding and care and forgiveness for him is available purely because of God's unfailing love and his great compassion. It's not because David deserves it, Certainly not. It's not because David's made up for what he's done, but it's because this is the heart and character of God, that we can come to God and ask for mercy, knowing that God has our best in mind. And David then uses three images to talk about what he hopes that God will do in a merciful way. He says, blot out the stain of my sins, wash me clean from my guilt and purify me. Three very different images that all mean a very similar thing. So the idea of blotting out the stain of his sins is the idea of using ink to cover over writing, effectively pouring some ink out on a page so that you can't see what's there anymore. 
We would nowadays probably more think of redacting a statement, so we can all picture that very easily, where we think about an email that's been printed out with a whole bunch of black lines on that, but it's the same idea. You can't see what's there anymore because it's been blotted out. Then David says, wash me clean. And we can think about this in terms of scrubbing some clothes clean or in terms of us getting really, really dirty. We've been out working in the garden or we've been working on the car and got all greasy or we've been doing painting or something and so we're a mess. This idea of wanting to be washed completely clean, get rid of the stains that are there. And thirdly, David uses this image of purification, which is an image that's used in terms of precious metal. The idea of gold or silver being heated up so hot that all of the junk that's in it ends up being burned away or burned off the top of it. And all you're left with is the pure precious metal that's there. So we can see what David's trying to say there, is don't, God, pay attention, don't look at me through the lens of the stain of this thing that I've done, but blot that out, wash it away, purify it, so that all you see is the version of me that you know you created me to be. Take all of that away so that you see me the way that I know you want to. Now, this isn't because David is pretending that nothing happened or that he just wants to gloss over it. In verse 3, he writes, For I recognise my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. So David says, I recognise my rebellion. I know what it is that I've done. In fact, it haunts me day and night. I can't sleep because I'm thinking about what I've done. I can't concentrate on anything because I know the implications of what I've done. But what's fascinating is what David says next. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Now again, remember the context of how David is writing this. Remember what he's done to Bathsheba. Remember what he's done to Uriah. Remember the abuse of power that he's done, the abuse of privilege that he's taken over the people that he's entrusted to lead, the people that he's supposed to set an example for. Think about everything that David's done. Didn't David sin against all of those people? Why is he saying, God, it's only against you that I've sinned? Well, David's recognising that ultimately sin, or what we talk a lot about as selfishness, choosing not to love others in an other-centred way, anything that we do like that causes damage to others. That's true. Whenever we choose selfishness, we end up inevitably causing pain to other people. And sometimes incredible amounts of damage is done. But David points out that ultimately sin is against God because we're going against God's best. We're going against what God created us to do, God's original design for us. God also knows all of the other choices that we could have made, all of the other decisions that we could have made instead of allowing this thing to happen. And God knows intimately how much that's had an impact on other people. He feels that to the core of who he is, the damage that is done in situations like this. And so David says, I want to start from there and to recognise that ultimately sin is first and foremost against God, not living the way that God created me to live. 
Yes, the extension of that is the collateral damage that's often done to so many other people and is incredibly destructive. And we do have to recognise that we need to ask forgiveness when we hurt other people in order for those relationships to have any chance of being able to be restored. But we have to begin by recognising that we've fallen short of what God wants for us, of what God has called us to do. And so that's why David says, against you have I sinned. But David also recognises that that's not something new. He says, I was born a sinner right from the very beginning. And I don't know about you, but this is one of those things where some of the language that we use at times I find a little challenging, where we talk about we're born sinful which therefore means that when we think about a tiny little baby, just think about a cute little baby, we're saying that baby is sinful. Then when we think about a tiny little toddler, a little two-year-old running around, all cute and funny, we're saying that that is a sinful being. I don't know about you, but I find that hard. And this is part of the reason why I find the language of selfishness so helpful when we unpack what sin is. Because if we look at it through that lens and say, are babies Selfish? I think we would all say, yes, very much so. What's a baby's agenda? Feed me, change me, let me go to sleep for goodness sake. That's a baby's agenda. (laughs) And it's all about me. Selfish, absolutely. It's fair enough, but we've got to recognise selfishness. And when we think about a toddler, yes, sure, sometimes we think about them running around and being all cute. What else do we think about with toddlers? tantrums <laughs> them and what's that all about i want what i want and i want it right now and if i don't get it then i'm going to let you all know all about it it's selfishness so when we think about it that way it makes a lot of sense we would say yes we are all born with selfishness at the core of who we are but the sad reality is that if we don't deal with that selfishness then over time as we get older and older that selfishness turns darker and darker and causes more and more issues and more and more implications for others. So it's there from the beginning of our lives. It just has much more devastating effects the older that we get. And so David says, you desire honesty from the womb, from the very beginning. God, you want us to come to you and be honest about this desire to be selfish, but to put ourselves before you and say, let me choose another way. In verse 7, David then says, Purify me from my sins and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. I'll give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. So over and over again, David says, Cleanse me. Remove this from me. Deal with it. Take it away. We can see how desperate he is for God's forgiveness. And this deep desire that he's got, give me back my joy, God. Let me rejoice again. But then David writes these very powerful words that are very familiar to lots of us. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I'll teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I'll joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Here we can see David's deep desire. Create in me a clean heart, 
and renew a loyal spirit. Other translations say renew a steadfast spirit or a right spirit or a right thinking spirit or a willing spirit. Basically, David's saying a spirit that is ready to hear you, God, and to respond to what it is that you want me to do. This word create that David uses here is exactly the same word that's used in the first verse of the Bible. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. It's exactly the same word that David uses here. We can sense David's desire to say, God, can we just start over again? Can we go back to the original plan, what your original design was? Would you create that in me so that I can start again? Don't banish me from your presence. The worst thing that could happen would be for you to leave me on my own. David says, don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. And for us, we might think, oh, that's fairly similar to not wanting God's presence removed from us. We understand the Holy Spirit being what indwells inside of us so that we can communicate and connect with God in significant ways. We have to remember this is in the Old Testament. And so the Holy Spirit in those days was used as an anointing. So David's effectively saying, don't remove your anointing from me. Don't take the calling that you've given me to lead these people away. But instead, restore the joy of my salvation. Remind me of the way that I felt when I first realised how amazing it was that you were willing to forgive me, that you were willing to love me, to accept me the way that you see me. David brings all of this together to say, God, cleanse me from the inside out. Renew me. Restore me. Take me back to the start. Let me begin again. Help me to remember everything that you've done for me and what it means to experience the joy of following you authentically. Because if that can happen, then I'll teach other people who are also rebellious and going through similar things how to respond. I'll sing joyfully. I'll be able to praise you. But it all starts with you cleansing me from the inside out. And David finishes with these really fascinating verses. In verse 16, he writes, do not, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. But the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Now again, we've got to remember, this is right in the heart of the Old Testament here. And so what is the experience of the Israelites? If you mess up, then there's a sacrifice that needs to be made. So you would go and you would confess to a priest and you would say, this is what it is that I've done. And they would say, well, the penalty for that, the sacrifice that needs to be paid is this. And generally, that would be the death of an animal of one kind or another. And there's real power in understanding that reality, that when we mess up, there is a price to be paid. When we cause damage to others, something needs to die in order for that to be sorted out. And there's also power in this idea of burnt offerings because what we see there is that the offering is actually burnt up, which is so symbolic of God burning something away completely, that it's dealt with. It is finished. It is complete. Forgiveness is restored to someone. You think about how the Israelites would have felt when they read this, when David first wrote this psalm. Actually, that's not what God wants. God doesn't actually want a sacrifice, a burnt offering. That would have been absolutely shocking. But what does he say instead? The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit, a broken and repentant heart. 
What David's really saying here is that it's not about going through the motions, but it's about why we do what we do. It's not just, oh yeah, here's the price to pay, I better go and do that and sort it out. But again, come back to the internal motivations, the very core of ourselves, say that's what I want to offer to God. That's what God really wants from us, is a heart that says, I know I've messed up, and I'm going to put that before you for you to deal with as you want to. Now, we're very grateful that we don't have to live in a sacrificial system. We do believe, as Phil said earlier, that Jesus was the final sacrifice. That's done. That's finished. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us so that all of the issues of sin and selfishness have been dealt with once and for all. We have been forgiven. We have been set right with God. But I think it's helpful for us to recognise how challenged we feel about whether we're willing to still bring ourselves as an offering to God, to bring our hearts to God as a sacrifice and say, I lay this before you, the very core of who I am, my motives, my purpose, everything that I'm about. So the focus of this series is for us to be able to learn from the Psalms and unpack them, but specifically to be able to then take them and say, okay, well, what does this look like for me to use this as a model for prayer? And so we're going to do that with this one because I think that there is a really helpful model that we find here. We see David doing four things, remembering who God is, recognising what he's done, receiving forgiveness, and then re-offering himself to God. And so that's what I want to give us some space to be able to do in a moment, is to be able to reflect on that. I would love you to think of a situation in your life where you have experienced shame. It could be a situation that you're going through right now, something that's happened recently, or it could be something that you're holding on to from maybe the very distant past. But that moment of shame, to be able to bring that before God and to take some time to remember who God is, that God is the God of unconditional love and great compassion. That's what God is like. That's God's heart towards you. So because of the safety that that creates, to recognise what it is that you've done, to name it. And that's really what confession is. Confession is us owning up to the things that we've done. And it's important to recognise that none of that catches God by surprise. When we confess things to God, we're not doing it for God's benefit, where he's like, really? You did that? I can't believe you did. When did you do that? Of course God knows what we've done. Confession is 100% for our benefit. The opportunity for us to acknowledge and own what it is that we've done, where we've fallen short, where we've caused damage to other people. So we'd love you to take some time to recognise specifically what that is, but to do that so that you're able to receive forgiveness. And you might want to tap into one of those images that David uses, whether it's about blotting out the stain of the sin that you've caused, whether it is about cleansing or whether it is about purifying. Is there one of those images that's helpful for you to be able to think about what God wants to do for you, to blot that out, to wash that clean, or to purify it? And then lastly, to re-offer yourself back to God, to re-offer your heart back to God. Because this is what God's desire is for us. He doesn't want us to stay stuck in our brokenness and stuck in the mistakes that we make but to come honestly and openly to him with a broken and repentant heart 
in order to receive his healing and his cleansing and his purifying and his release. So my prayer is that that's what we can do over these next few minutes, is to take some time to work through that in a situation that's very real for you and to experience that cleansing. So put some background music on. encourage you to take some time to work through that. Once again, as we head into this week, uh, I would love you to keep this somewhere in front of you and uh, to pull it out throughout the week. And in those moments where you know that you mess up, where you know that you've caused damage to someone else, or even where you just know that you weren't the best version of yourself, to pull that out and use it as an opportunity to be able to bring that before God and to experience his release that's there for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful that you show us exactly what God is like, that you reveal to us the full character and nature of God. And because of that, we recognise that we can come in confidence to you and to be able to be open and honest and to recognise that you will never turn your back on us. You will never turn away from us, but you want to be there for us. 
with your unconditional love. We acknowledge and we confess that all of us mess up, that selfishness drives so many of the decisions that we make, the motives that we have, and the brokenness that we end up causing. And we're sorry. We recognise that it's not what you created us for. But we're grateful that your desire for us is not that those things would define us, but that you are able to cleanse us and purify us and to set us free from those things, that they don't have to hold power over us and to hold us back from your best. And so we pray that you would forgive us for those times that we mess up. And we do re-offer ourselves to you. We offer our hearts to you, broken and repentant as they are. And we pray that you would transform us from the inside out, that you would transform our hearts, our motives, our desires, so that they reflect you, your values, and what's most important. And because of that, that we can then enter into the conversations that we have, the relationships that we've got, the opportunities that you put in front of us with a sense of recognising that they have all been surrendered to you for your purposes and for your use. So as we head into this week, we pray that you would keep these things in front of us. Remind us that this is not just something that we can do on a Sunday, but at any point throughout the week we can pull these things out and focus on them with you. In your name we pray. Amen.